I am Brother Cornell West, and this is If I Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything Hip-Hop Can Save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. On this episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, the power of hip-hop diplomacy. Using hip-hop to foster goodwill and bridge cultural divides across the globe. My talk with Mark Katz, plus a giveaway. I'm Manny Faces. Let's go. The thing about hip-hop today is it's smart. It's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Peace and love, everyone. My name is Manny Faces, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America, aka the world's smartest hip hop podcast, where I deliver stories of hip hop music and culture being used in innovative, often surprising ways to improve humanity in areas such as education, health and wellness, science and technology, and in the case of this episode, international diplomacy and conflict resolution. Now listen, we're a podcast for fans of hip-hop music and culture for sure, particularly those who have begun to lose faith that hip-hop's better qualities still exist. But we're also especially interested in reaching people who never realized hip-hop had any better qualities. So please, help us reach both of these important groups by taking a moment to share this episode wherever you share things so we can continue to amplify the voices of the people doing this type of important work and the many lives they're positively impacting. Now, while I do sincerely believe that hip-hop can help cure many of America's ills, there's an amazing program that takes this concept to the next level. In fact, it's called Next Level, and it's an initiative run by the United States State Department that sends groups of hip-hop teaching artists to places throughout the world as cultural ambassadors. The program is designed to bridge cultural divides, facilitate understanding, and express and heal trauma all through hip-hop music and culture. It's a renowned program that's been going on for many years. And on this episode, I speak with its founder, Mark Katz. Mark's most recent book is about the Next Level program, detailing his experiences serving as its director and what he has seen that convinced him that hip-hop is perfectly suited to help build community both here and abroad. In fact, Mark's book is called Build, The Power of Hip-Hop Diplomacy in a Divided World. And we actually have a free copy to give away. Just shoot us a quick email at free at hiphopcansaveamerica.com and we'll pick someone at random later this month and get it out to you. Here's my talk with Mark Katz. Hey, Mark, thank you for taking the time to kick it with me. The interview, this interview is long overdue. And I think for that reason, it's a bit ironic. Uh, I'm catching you as you're leaving the helm of the organization that I'm interested in talking to you about. So that's interesting. Good timing. Uh, but thank you for taking some time and hanging out with me today. My pleasure. So listen, this podcast is purposefully aimed at, you know, hip hop discussions in a in a domestic perspective, and it covers largely domestic issues. But I think a lot of your work around the world has had a distinct domestic foundation. So I think it falls within our jurisdiction. The work I'm talking about is what's known as hip hop diplomacy. And in your case, it has actually a direct tie in with American foreign policy. Uh, this is all something that's fascinated me for a long time, ever since I became aware of you and your work. Uh, so if you could, before we go into specifics of, you know, your history and your work with Next Level, if I was to say to someone who's a bit removed from hip-hop culture that we were going to talk about hip-hop diplomacy, uh, I'm sure they would undoubtedly say, what the hell is hip-hop diplomacy? I'm sure you've gotten that a million times. 
How do you, as someone who's been kind of immersed in this work, explain that concept to the layperson? And then an overview, if you could, about the Next Level Initiative and how it worked to achieve the objectives of hip-hop diplomacy. Sure. And uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me on your show. I've enjoyed listening to it before I even knew I was going to be on the show. So uh, it's nice to be on and you know be a fan as well as a guest. So these terms, hip-hop and diplomacy, don't really go together in, in the minds of most people because you don't think of hip-hop as embodying what we imagine diplomacy to be. When you think of diplomacy or when I ask people, what are the images that come to mind? Frankly, it's white men in suits shaking hands. United Nations. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe there are flags in the background. Um, And that's not the first image that usually comes to mind when people say hip hop. So what are these two things doing together? Well, first of all, just a fact, uh, since 2001, the United States State Department has been hiring American hip hop artists to travel abroad to represent the United States. And uh, the very first one is Tony Blackman, an MC and, and poet um, and writer who um, people who listen to this show might know. She's gone on quite a few of these uh, trips. But in any case, this is something that's been going on now for almost 20 years. And hip hop diplomacy is, is a form of cultural diplomacy, which is a way in which countries use their culture as platforms to connect their citizens with citizens of another country. Mm. And the purpose of cultural diplomacy, well, there could be lots of them, but one is to improve the image of the country. Um, Another is to improve relations with another country. Another might be to connect with uh, populations around the world that this country doesn't normally connect with. Mm. So uh, those are all things that are goals of hip-hop diplomacy. There are a lot of different forms that hip-hop diplomacy could take. It could be sending an artist out to do some shows in various countries, and it's just a concert that's paid for by, say, an embassy, a U.S. embassy. Or it could be a workshop. It could be a collaborative performance, jam sessions, and so on. All of that has happened under the State Department's umbrella. Now, the particular program that I helped create, and I was the founding director of, is called Next Level. And that came out in 2013. And uh, so it wasn't the first form of hip-hop diplomacy, but it was and still is the only program solely dedicated to hip-hop that is a cultural diplomacy program. Mm. under the support of the State Department. Next Level is a program that sends teams of hip-hop artists, usually four hip-hop artists representing different elements, to different countries around the world for two weeks at a time to run workshops. So, Mm. for example, I am just back, in fact, I'm still (laughs) jet-lagged, from a trip uh, to Mongolia, where we had the beatmaker, DJ, dancer and an MC, And each of them ran workshops uh, that were attended by young Mongolians who are interested in hip-hop. Some of them are hip-hop artists. Some are just wanted to learn how to become hip-hop artists or just wanted to learn how to rap or dance or make beats or DJ. During those two weeks, there's a lot of skill building, but it's the ultimate goal really isn't so much about skill building. It's about connection. And it's about building, I would say, in the hip-hop sense, of building Mm -hmm. with someone, creating community together, doing something together that you can't do separately. That's the idea of building. And it's about building global hip-hop community. Yeah. From your perspective, why is hip-hop particularly well-suited for this kind of cultural diplomacy or cultural outreach? And I want to talk about some of the ways that this could be misconstrued or seen in a, in a potentially negative way. I won't get to that. But why do you think that hip hop is actually well suited for it past the stereotypes of what a lot of people think of when they first think of hip hop or even some of us within the culture? You know, we we forget sometimes that there's so many great qualities within hip hop music and its associated culture. Why do you think hip hop is, is so well suited for this? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One I'll start with is that it's in every single country in the world. Um, mm-hmm. I actually 
I actually tested this. I tried to find a country where there's no hip hop and went through the list of uh, United Nations member nations. And I right. can I couldn't Google a phrase that had say Mauritius plus hip hop, but that came up with nothing. That's so, so funny. I I, I, guess I did the exact same thing. Okay. <laughs> I didn't do all 195, but I thought of that one day and I went to like the most obscure one on the list, that place that I hadn't even heard of. Googled it Ex- and you're right. 100%. Exactly. But yes. isn't that isn't that kind of mind blowing that there is it not really a is. single country in the world that that you could go to where you won't find hip hop? So first of all, it's just everyone's heard of it. Uh, right. Every country, there are young people particularly right. every right. in every country have heard of it. The other thing is that it's accessible. So um, there's lots of kinds of diplomacy. You could have sports diplomacy, or um, right. you know, you could have uh, string quartets travel. But uh, as you know. All it takes to create hip hop is your own body. Right. Um, you don't need to spend any money. You know, if you have a voice, if you have a body, you yeah. can you can create hip hop. It's like the soccer of music. That's why it's so widespread around the world. It's just the easiest game to play. Exactly. It's incredible just how how accessible it is. And we could get into this, but I've seen people who who have disabilities who can make hip hop do amazing things. Right. Um, and uh, so really. It doesn't matter what you have uh, in terms of, of wealth or privilege. If you have a, a body and a voice and, and a mind and creativity, you can create hip-hop. Right. Another thing is that the story of hip-hop is so compelling to people around the world. It's this, right. basically the idea that people have about it around the world, which is true, but it's also kind of mythic. It's the story of young people with nothing creating something and creating something powerful that can change the world. So that appeals to people all around the world. So that's powerful. And then one thing in particular is that it is known to be American, American in birth. Um, So for the United States to engage in hip-hop diplomacy is great because it's a way, frankly, of connecting with people around the world who might hate us, except they might right. hate everything about the U.S. except for hip hop. Right, right. So all those things together make it a really kind of sensible choice for the State Department to run with. Now, as you said, there are issues and potential problems, and I I do want to talk with you about it. But just from yeah. the standpoint of the U.S. using hip hop to promote the U.S. Right, and yeah, is right. it's it's a no brainer. Everyone, many more people love hip hop than love the United States. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, it wasn't always a no-brainer. I'm sure, you know, along the way, I know you've been saying it's been happening for a long time, but maybe when tried to form it as uh, more of a, like a unit, like the next level initiative rather than these one-offs, it probably met some pushback. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. I've talked with the State Department people who were behind this and it took a while, 2001. I mean, hip hop, it was already hugely popular. You could make an argument they should have been doing this 10 years before that. But there was resistance. You know, for some people, it was they didn't like hip hop or maybe they're racist. Um, there's that. <laughs> there's that. But even if we're being charitable and saying, OK, people, maybe people really liked hip hop, but they're still wary of trying to promote it as a, a taxpayer funded program because they might be worried how this would play in Congress. Would people mm-hmm. think it's frivolous? And also, I mean, at, at a time when and I don't, it wasn't happening as much as it was not to cut you off, but you know, in the nineties when they were Congress was actually taking an active role, you know, the government was taking an active role in trying to squash hip hop and, and explicit lyrics and, and have traditionally taken a stance against the genre, which gives a negative perception overall. So that's something that wasn't brand new. No, exactly. In fact, yeah. uh, the research I did, I was looking at what the media was saying about hip hop um, in 2001 and there were polls uh, out that asked people, do you think hip hop presents a good image for young people? And the majority of respondents said no. So there is good reason for uh, the State Department to be wary of putting its money into hip hop. And of course, the counter to that is that there are amazing qualities within hip hop music and culture and its practitioners. I mean, you talk about Tony Blackman, who is revered in this work, but the tons and just tons of artists that have been traveling artists with the next level program. You start your book. We're going to talk about your book as well. Uh, but you start your book, you talk uh, with Frankie Perez, right? In the beginning of the book, B-Boy Frankie, I believe. Right. And um, 
I interviewed uh, Frankie for an, another podcast that I used to uh, I used to host. I tell his story, uh, an anecdote that he told me during that interview, where got you know kid from Queens, b boying, you know, dancing, learning, you know, getting better. Then starts kind of traveling around the world, competing, all these things. And he tells me how he goes up to uh, the Arctic, somewhere in the Arctic, some first person's indigenous community way north in Canada, away from everything. And of course, like you say, hip hop is everywhere. And he's doing a workshop up there, a dancing workshop. And he's telling me that he's not teaching dancing. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm teaching self-confidence because these are young people that don't necessarily have, feel like they can do these things. And then after a workshop, I've shown them that they can do something. So it's dancing. Yes. It's like you said, the technical stuff, but it's so much more when you do this. And one of the things that Next Level touts as one of its main characteristics or main benefits is conflict resolution. And I right. think that's fascinating. Can you explain a little bit on, on how that's one of the, first of all, you know what I'm talking about when I, when I, I say do. that, you know, uh, the confidence building and the other aspects of what, you know, hip hop can bring when applied this way. But conflict resolution is a big one that I don't think people commit again, because hip hop can be conflict filled. <laughs> you exactly. Know? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, I just want to amplify what you said about instilling and building confidence. I've seen it every single time I've gone one of the, on one of these trips. Yeah. Um, art is a powerful way of, of expressing yourself. And when you have good teachers, you can really pull something out of someone, uh, a kind of hidden strength that they didn't know they had. And yeah. I've seen this over and over again. Now, about conflict resolution, and actually, we... We've started to use the term conflict transformation okay. to, because the idea is that what we're doing is we don't go in and say, okay, there are two warring factions. We're going to, we're going to battle it out and you're, you know, we're going to have peace in your country after this. That's not what it's about. The idea right. is that conflict exists in every society and within every person. And that art is a powerful way of expressing conflict and transforming it into something constructive and positive. So when we talk about hip hop and conflict, some people might say, well, isn't that exactly the last thing you would want to do or use to transform conflict? But remember, as you know, hip hop grew out of conflict and it, and really the birth of hip hop is in a sense, a case study in conflict transformation. It was a way of young people who used art to transform their circumstances into something beautiful and powerful. And so it really feels organic to hip hop when we do this. It doesn't feel like we're saying, okay, we're going to, I don't know, teach some really unrelated uh, skill set here. Or because, some philosophical. <laughs> yeah, like phenomenology. I mean, which yeah. maybe I, I don't even know. Uh, right. But but if you think about what, what battles do, all these are about transforming conflict through art. So give me, a, if you could, just a concrete example of this. Like, how does this look in practice? Like when you say you're doing a workshop and there's a, either a beat maker or a DJ, and I love that you use all the elements, of course, you know, always bring in dancers, graffiti artists, sometimes, uh, you know, DJs, uh, you know, MCs, the whole gamut. But how, how does a workshop or something that is aimed or with the thought process in mind to say, let's, let's use this sort of as a way to implant the seed of conflict transformation? What does that look like in practice? Sure. So I'll just give the example since it's fresh in my mind. I was just in Ulaanbaatar, uh, capital of Mongolia, where we spent a day a, a day specifically focused on conflict transformation. In fact, we for this one, we brought in a, a professor. Uh, his name is Arthur Romano, who specializes in conflict. Uh, that's what he studies. And he did some workshops where he, first of all, just talked about conflict and, and that it's just a part of, of our lives. And it's not necessarily something that we, that we need to avoid. It's, it's unavoidable. But he has these great exercises that we then put into the individual workshops. But what we do, a lot of what we do is role play, where we talk about very, uh, very real scenarios that anyone in hip hop might encounter. And, and then we talk about how to how to either resolve or transform or shift the conflict. So I went into the workshop led by beatmaker DJ AL. The guys, um, it was, I think it was a group of guys in this workshop, came up with a scenario where they, I can't remember it all, but they go to a club and they bring a DJ 
and they want this DJ to, to get on at the club, but the manager hasn't already agreed to it. So there's this, there's this argument where, where the guys say, oh, but this DJ, every time he's here, he, he draws a crowd. And then the manager says, yeah, but you didn't ask me beforehand. You're putting me on the spot and they, you know, things get heated. So there's another scenario where, where there's a crew of, it's a, an MC crew. And one of the members of the MC crew brings in a new person without asking the others and said, oh, she's so dope. It's amazing. You got to, you know, she's going to make everything great. And then the other members of the crew say, wait, wait, you didn't consult. And they right. get, you know, and this is how, even though no one meant any harm on either side, okay. conflict arises and could really turn into something dangerous, you know, where it's just that would threaten their relationship. So we came up with all these real life scenarios that all these people in hip hop have encountered and say, okay, now let's break this down. Let's talk about how we could avoid this, what to do when it happens, how to, how to de-escalate, how to think from the other person's perspective, all right. these skills. So this is not abstract at all. We have right. them talk about things that they have actually lived through. And we talk about beefs in their communities right. and, and how to, how to address them. And we've seen, you know, we don't, we don't try to claim too much. I mean, you know, a lot of conflict is deeply entrenched, but we have seen people address these conflicts and start to move, move them away from conflict into something that's uh, more cooperative and collaborative. Gotcha. Like you say, it harkens back to the early days of, of hip hop, the, the mythos of, of hip hop's early days of, you know, breaking away from the, the gang violence and the despair in the streets to make something out of nothing, as you say. Now, there's a tricky part to this. Uh, it's political. But you talk about in your book, and, and again, congratulations on your book. The book, or just say, is, is available or soon to be available by the time this goes up. I'm not quite sure exactly, but uh, it's right on the verge. It's called Build the Power of Hip-Hop Diplomacy in a Divided World, uh, which details a ton of these amazing examples and experiences that you've gone through in action. Uh, congrats on this, even though I'm jealous because I've been working on a book for about 84 years. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm no hater, so I, I bring uh, esteemed authors on the show. It's no problem. One of the things that you go into, and you go into fairly early, which I, I, I like, this all sounds great if you sugarcoat it and, and only present this one side, but there is a danger to this approach in the way that you talk about conflict and having to resolve. It's kind of ironic to a lot of people that the United States State Department would be sending people across the world to talk about de-escalating conflict because we're pretty good at conflict. We are. Um <laughs> And uh, no, you're right. There is there is conflict at the heart of hip hop diplomacy. And some yeah. people, mm. when they hear this, they have an allergic reaction to it. Politely, <laughs> but yeah. politely, they say, you know, what the you know what the hell is this? I mean, how can how are you how do you justify letting uh, you know the imperial arm of the United States government co opt hip hop yeah. for its uh, nefarious purposes? Absolutely. Exploiting the culture. Yeah. Exploiting the culture, exploiting hip hop, using, you know, hip hop as a tool of imperialism and, and unwanted intervention. And I totally get that, uh, that worry. It's a realistic worry because if you know the history of the United States and its interventions around the world and its bad deeds, frankly, um, illegal acts. I mean, there's, you know, there's no sugarcoating that. Yeah. So there are a couple of, of ways to look at this. One thing I do is I ask the artists who have agreed to do this. I said, why are you doing this? Because some of the artists that I work with, many of them, they're people who are not big fans of the federal government. Sure. Who are activists, right. uh, anti-imperialists. Right. right. And so I said, well, why are you doing this? And a lot of really interesting reasons. One is, finally, the government is putting money into hip hop, and they should be. One artist said, you know, they're spending all this money on missiles. Why don't they give some to me and I'll build songs instead? Um, one thought is it's actually finally, in some people's minds, a valid use of government funding. Um, another thing is that artists want to be able to represent their country to the world. No matter how much the artists that I work with might oppose actions of the U.S. government, 
very few of them or none of them that I've met are uh, claimed to be anti-American. Right. They don't right. hate their country. Yeah, the, the, they, activists, the activist artists are patriots. They're still, they love their country and want to make it better. That's right. And so yeah. that's a good way of saying it. So they, well, why not then put me on the front lines and have me represent this country instead of that bozo on TV? Um, right, yeah, you mentioned in the book, you say the, the reaction to some people are like, oh, wow, all Americans aren't assholes. Who knew? Exactly. <laughs> and we we get that. And that's yeah. that is a really powerful use of cultural diplomacy. And it's one that the State Department backs because they know they don't all love what comes out of the White House. They don't all right. love what comes out of the government. They want the people of the world to think of the U.S. as a complex, rich, diverse culture instead of, you know, when I've gone to some countries and they say, oh, you're American, where are your guns? Where's your cowboy hat and where are your guns? I said, well, we're not all like that. So one reason to do this is to represent what is truly uh, beautiful and amazing and great about about the U.S., which is hip hop. Right. And it's a macrocosm, I think, of hip hop itself, because, you know, people say, oh, you do hip hop. Where's the rhyming about guns? Right. <laughs> right. And it's and that's a great point. It's also a way of representing hip hop. Yeah. In a way that people don't often get to do, because, you know, unless you are, you know, on TV or a social media influencer, right. your voice is not necessarily shaping the, um, you know, the conversation about hip hop. Yeah. but. If you work for two weeks with a group of people who have who have a certain idea about what hip hop is based on what they've seen on TV and social media, you can change the conversation about what hip hop is and what it can be. Absolutely. I mean, that's that, that's where we're advocating over here. Like it's the that's ex- the exact same same result that we see happen. It's a it's a eye opening and immediate mm-hmm. in many cases. But that doesn't mean that we can't still screw up or do wrong. I mean, no, for sure. The, I just want to acknowledge that even though I say, you know, it's problematic and it's fraught, that's the word I use um, mm. in the book. Once we get into the country, it's not all cake. You know, we can actually create problems once we get into the country. And okay. we have to be really, really careful about how we interact with people, how we present ourselves. And so we've developed over the course of the last few years and with a lot of input from these amazing artists and thinkers, a set of principles about how to how to go about doing this work. At the top of the list are show respect, be humble, be self-aware, listen as much as you teach. These are things that are really important. And I'll give you a concrete example of one way we could do things wrong and, and how we try to avoid that. So you could have a team of artists go in, and we have some really amazing artists. You know, I mentioned Tony Blackman or someone like Diamond D. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, we've had three members of the uh, Digging in the Crates crew, Lord Finesse, Buck Wild. I mean, there's no doubting their talent, and there's yeah. no doubting their authenticity. So they could go in and say, okay, we're from the U.S. We're going to show you how to do hip-hop right. Mm. Um, and he, there's an argument for for saying they're right to do that. But on the other hand, think about going into a community where people have been practicing hip-hop and creating hip-hop of their own and having this superpower represented from the superpower telling them what to do. Well, mm. that just looks like you know business as usual mm. from the U.S. Right. Even though that seems justifiable, that's not how we operate. So and that's difficult from a just from a hip hop purist traditionalist standpoint. Some some folks are they are very protective of the traditional way of doing hip hop in America because we see how far from the from its roots it's gone. And there's that long argument of whether that's good or bad. That's not for here. But I'm sure you can see that even overseas, especially with totally different cultures. They may approach hip hop totally differently, and it could be seen as um, heavy handed, is what you're saying. Right, right. And so we could go and say, look, you know, we're in India. You got to keep that Bollywood stuff out of hip hop. That's not hip hop. And in fact, when we went to India, that's what I saw. I was surprised to see how much Bollywood influence took hold in, you know, the hip hop dance that I saw. But to do that is to say that hip hop is not Indian. It's not. Mongolian, it's not Serbian, but it's only American and that it's an American export. But I know from experience that that's not how people see it from around the world. 
In fact, when I went to Zimbabwe, I asked someone, were you worried at all about having this program come in? And he said, yeah, I was worried that these Americans would come in and try to teach us hip hop. He said, we know hip hop. What we want to do is build with you. And in fact, that that's what gave me the inspiration to name this book Build, because building is a form of diplomacy. So in other words, even little things like what you do on the very first day, do you go in and talk about do your bios and do a showcase? Or what we usually do is we sit down and we ask them some questions. Tell us about hip hop in your community. Right. What is it like? What are the beefs like? What are the, you know, what are the issues that you're facing? So listen more than you teach. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, that's that's dope. What is um you've been to how many places, how many different countries has has have you gone through with this initiative? Uh, next level, well, we just wrapped up Mongolia, which if my count is right, is 32. Man, listen. Can is there a when you talk about this the work you do? Uh, you know, you give so many examples, and there's so many examples in a book, and even about what we're just talking about now, where you have to be diplomatic about doing diplomacy, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Which is great. And 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 as an aside, I think that's great because you talk about these artists that you that are chosen for the program. I know a lot of them. I know Far Beyond. I know Rabbi Darkside. I know Tony. I know a lot of people that have participated in this personally. They are not only just artists and not only activists and not only teaching artists, but they're ambassadors, they're evangelists. They're just an amazing representation of humanity, to be honest, and hip hop and its cultural greatness. And I think that by taking them on these journeys, not only are you letting them use, take their skills and their way of, you know, seeing the world and seeing hip hop to these other places, but it's teaching them vital skills. Again, being diplomatic about doing diplomacy, which then lets them further their work when they come back to the States. It's really a mutually beneficial arrangement. So, yeah. you know, when when Diamond D applied for this, and he applied, it's not like right. he just got a pass and got to, got to do it. Still got to audition. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it was a no-brainer to take it, but I asked him, I, I said, why do you want to do this? I mean, because as he pointed out, he, he would get paid more if he stayed at home. Right. Um, I mean, we pay pretty well. It's actually not a, a bad rate, but he could get paid more. You know, he has uh, he's accomplished pretty much anything a producer would want to accomplish. But for him, it was about about having a different experience, uh, not just touring, but really connecting with people on a kind of uh, intimate level of you know working with people. And, you know, and just going to another country and having that experience and having yeah. that teaching experience and something that he's talked to me, I hope he doesn't mind that I'm using him as an example, but I've also brought him to the University of North Carolina where I teach and he's done work there. So it's gotten him more into the educational side of things. So right. uh, as much as I would never have thought I could do anything for Diamond D or this program could, it right. in fact has because it's opened up something for him. Right. And also just different line on the CV, but then it just opens up opportunities to do more of this because, you know, I, I hate to say it, you know, uh, people who are not in hip hop who don't already know who some of these artists are, don't care how many records they've sold or how, you know, how many top 10 lists uh, they've made. Right. But if they see that they did a, a program uh, for the U.S. Embassy in Belgrade, Serbia, they say, huh. That, There's something there. that gives me a different perspective and right. maybe I'll hire him to do, do it's this the, lecture. It's the validation thing. I think, uh, you know, I talk a lot about, uh, and, and I, I think like you, when you approach this program and say, I, I don't want to, I want to get this right. I don't want to let the artist be exploited, but I also value the opportunity to go in and present ourselves in a great way. I don't want to put the United States on a pedestal, but at the same time, there's greatness in our country we should be able to share. And I think it goes down to that validation thing that a lot of artists or, you know, hip hop folks say, hey, we don't we don't need your validation, but, you know, we'll take it if it helps the cause, <laughs> you know. Well, and 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 one thing uh, and I quote Diamond D in the book, so it's it's public, uh, which is that, you know, he said that his father was a was a veteran mm. and he fought for the U.S. He said, now I'm getting to represent my country doing what I do. So that's actually something really powerful that I've seen yeah. across a lot of these artists that many of them do travel. I mean, they're very well traveled, they're very yeah. uh, successful ones, but to do it 
and get paid to represent their country has a different meaning. And one interesting thing that I hadn't thought about is that it's often powerful for their families who may not have really approved of them going into hip hop. They say, wow, you know, I never really got this hip hop thing, but wait, you met the ambassador to to Cambodia and performed in his residence. I mean, that, you know, you talk about validation, it's validation is maybe you don't need it, but it can be nice. Oh, it's not. And it's not just from the institutions that, you know, uh, the very, very quick aside, my dad was a sociology professor, uh, distinguished professor of sociology. And so I grew up under that, you know, umbrella. (laughs) And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was a hip hop head and he wanted me to go to school and do all the things. And I'm like, yo, I'm gonna make this music, though, you know. (laughs) And he was a jazz and blues kind of store. So he was like, "Eh, that's not music, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, he passed about eight years ago. And it sucks because in the past eight years, I've been to Lyon, France. I've been to Paris. I've been to Oslo, all for hip hop, either covering, lecturing, speaking. I've gone to about 15 universities. I went to his one of his uh, where he used to teach at, at Ohio State University. I spoke there. And wow. that validation would have meant a hell of a lot. You know what I mean? Like, so I know what you say when it's like, hey, it makes you feel. My dad would be like, okay, maybe your way was all right. I'll, I'll give you that much. Exactly. And I see that. I mean, these, these artists all have families. And, you know, one thing, another kind of validation that, that comes up is that this program next level is in the same run out of the same office that did the jazz ambassadors program that sent Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Disney Gillespie around the world in the 50s and 60s. And to be in that lineage is very powerful. That history that, uh, was that the, uh, Louis Armstrong, the, picture with him and his wife in front of the pyramid that I've seen floating exactly. around. Yep. That from that pro- that, yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. Um iconic. And, uh, yeah. And yeah. but the interesting thing is and and I'll plug my book, you can read about the connections Please. between uh jazz diplomacy and hip hop diplomacy. Yep. They face the same issues. I mean maybe even more um kind of exposed or hard to say, but you know, this was in the era of uh, of desegregation sure. and so the civil rights movement to have African-American artists representing the country at a time when they weren't really free in their own country brought up its own conflicts. And actually, it's the same. I mean, you know, for example, Tef Poe uh, went to Jordan. He was uh, deeply involved in in the uh, Ferguson protests. And, uh, and, you know, it's really conflicting to represent your country when you may not be even safe in your own country. You may right. be safer in the country you visit. Right. You're right. And that goes back, you know, to a lot of, you know, black musicians throughout history, jazz age, of course, why they all felt more comfortable overseas. Uh, a lot of talk about authors and musicians who moved to Europe, you know, just exactly. To, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of parallels. You know, one powerful thing I heard from a number of, uh, of artists is that when they travel abroad, they're treated differently. Um, yeah. uh, one artist who's telling me, uh, and I think he, he probably would stand in for a number, um, Akeem Funk Buddha, who said when he's when he's walking around New York as a black man, he feels like he's in the stores. He feels like people are watching him and waiting for him to steal something. Yeah. And when he's abroad, he that feeling is lifted, and mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't feel that way. He thinks that people see him differently. Yeah, and so it can be you know traveling and being treated well can be a really powerful uh, motivation for doing this kind of work. Yeah. I think that the rest of the world has a lot to learn from us and maybe we have a lot to learn <laughs> from the rest of the world. Exactly. Let me ask you a couple one one or two things before I let you go. And uh, again, I thank you for your time. So again, this is an international program, but like I said at the beginning, kind of rooted in a lot of domestic stuff, hip hop being an American export, as you say, artists from America going out elsewhere, you know, the State Department seeking to enhance the image of the United States and promoting our interests abroad. But a lot of the lessons, a lot of the things you guys actually do, the core of the work can be applied domestically as well, could be applied anywhere. There's conflict everywhere. There's a need to bridge cultures and communities everywhere. Are there domestic applications for some of the lessons that have been learned and some of the techniques that you guys have, I don't want to say perfected, but have uh, have used in the Next Level program? Definitely. Um, in fact, there is a, a domestic component to Next Level. For one thing, 
every country we go to, we select one of the workshop participants and we invite them as a team to the U.S. for a two-week professional development program. And that's an amazing experience for them, but it also brings a lot to the places we go to. We have them visit schools, universities, connect with U.S. artists here in the U.S. But then beyond that, what I've been trying to do at UNC, where I teach in Chapel Hill, is to um, I bring a lot of the next level alumni to UNC to give lectures, to do workshops. And in fact, this summer, um, I created with two next level alumni, uh, Junius Brickhouse, who, by the way, is the, uh, the new director, and Kerwin Young, an amazing beat maker who worked with Public Enemy. The two of them and I created a uh, hip hop summer institute at UNC that replicates what we do in these workshops. So right. there are definitely things to bring back. And in fact, I think it's one of the most powerful things we could do is do more of, of this kind of conflict transformation with hip hop in the U.S. And by the way, there are people doing this kind of work sure. in the U.S. Um, lots of great work being done. And I, the artists that I work with are doing that in their homes or their, their hometowns. They've already been doing that. So right. what it does is it just, they bring back some of the skills they developed, some of the experiences, some of their broadened perspectives into their home communities. And so there's this continual feedback loop of, of um, promoting uh, the work that we do abroad at home and just developing these principles and spreading them in communities around the country. That's great. Yeah, like you say, there's definitely a lot of people doing this kind of work, but it is great to, as we say, have some institutional support that, you know, helps supports that, validates it, and gives people a place to maybe, you know, present their work. And, you know, from that can spring a lot of, a lot of good stuff, I would imagine. Uh, definitely. We're winding up. What's, uh, so you mentioned the changes, Junius Brickhouse, new director. So, so you're no longer at the helm of this. So what are the changes at next level? And what does that mean for the organization, for the initiative? And then what's next for you besides dropping a book on us? <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad to be able to, to mention uh, Junius uh, taking over as director. You know, one thing that we didn't mention, uh, you may be able to suss this out uh, if you're only listening to me, but I'll just say it, is I'm white and I'm not a hip hop artist. Right. Um, so one thing was when I got the grant to do this, first of all, I knew that just the reality is that because uh, because of my institutional connections, my grant-making experience, my administrative experience, I was able to get this grant, whereas I know that extremely well-qualified people in the hip-hop community couldn't uh, because they didn't have the institutional connections, they didn't have a PhD or, or a college degree, and that kind of thing, you know, for what it's worth is, uh, is important to the people who give out this money. Yeah, it's how to get in the door. Exactly. So, um, so I always knew that, that when I was running this program, that the ideal would be for this to be run by the community itself. And so over the course of, of the years that I was directing it, what I did is in collaboration with the artists, um, I started hiring some of them to run residencies. And then um, I hired Junius to uh, become associate director and then co-director. And then Kane Smigo, another artist, uh, became associate director. Now he's director. And what I think is really um, maybe the biggest achievement for, you know, from my part is that is stepping away, actually, and right. leaving, um, opening a door that, um, you know, unfortunately could not have been opened by the artists that I work with. But now stepping back so that they take over and they are absolutely eminently qualified to do it. But yeah. what I did was I was I laid the groundwork. So this was not something, you know, that I just, you know, I got tired of this. I, I'm still connected with Next Level. I still travel with them. I consult. I give talks and all sure. that. But I think it's a, it, uh, from my standpoint, it's the ideal scenario that this is now completely run by hip hop artists. So. The day to day, yeah, the day to day, and I'm, you know, I'm there to to be helpful uh, and to write books, and <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's been so amazing, such an amazing experience, a privilege for me to be connected with this program. But what's next is, um, you know, really, I'm just going to continue supporting this program, trying to build some of the capacity 
domestically. I want to develop my own um, skills in terms of uh, conflict transformation so I could assist in that. I would like to be able to get continue using my privilege and access to raise money for hip-hop activism, for hip-hop artists and hip-hop communities. And by the way, I I hope this will move a a few more units, but all of my royalties I'll be donating to various hip-hop community organizations around in this country and around the world, the ones that I've worked with through Next Level and in other ways, because, I mean, to my mind, it's the way of paying back, giving back, uh, because I've gotten so much from them. So Really, I just want to continue using uh, what I've developed and the knowledge and connections I have to continue supporting uh, the hip-hop community. Well, I'm sure the hip-hop community is very thankful for that. We need more of you doing that kind of stuff, so I appreciate you for that. I'll wrap up with this last question. This is the thing I ask uh, pretty much everyone that comes along. You've answered a lot of this, so but I guess this is the soundbite version. <laughs> Uh, so no pressure. Again, this podcast is called Hip Hop Can Save America. And I named it that because I think that all of the things that you've talked about and that I've seen through the work of artists and individuals and organizations like yourself, uh, you really just show an amazing uh, amount of potential for the ideas, the concepts, the people, the spirit, the ethos of hip hop to actually solve problems. And if you talk about just, if we just took away conflict resolution, conflict transformation from this talk, that's the one thing that this program has been able to do. It's done so much more, but that's an amazing angle to take to address one of our foundational societal issues. And it could be, I don't say solved, right? I mean, nothing gets solved hundred percent, like you said, but if it could be addressed in an efficient way, and we have some receipts to show that it can through hip hop, and that's an amazing thing. And I think there's a hundred different things that could be helped in a similar fashion through hip hop. So that's my pitch. In your, in your perspective, why is it important? Why should people be considering hip hop, music and culture when looking at ways to truly improve lives, livelihoods and communities in this country, but you know, everywhere? Well, I love the the title and premise of this podcast, Hip Hop Can Save America. I could have uh, titled my book, Hip Hop Can Save the World. I mean, that's that's kind of the idea. Um, it may sound utopian, but, uh, you know, I think in reality, hip hop can do great amounts of good. And I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. So the soundbite uh, version is that I asked a, a, a B-boy from, from Serbia if he was able to work with b-boys in Bosnia and other Balkan countries, given that they've been at war for so long. And he said, of course, I work with them all the time. I said, well, why? I mean, your countries can't get along. Why do you get along? He said, well, you can't fight when you're dancing. (laughs) And so to me, that's sort of it in a nutshell. If we could use hip-hop to bring people together to collaborate in the creation of art, you can't fight while you're doing that. Right. You have to work together. You have to compromise. You have to think about the other person's perspective and the other person's needs. And so, you know, if we could, if we could connect with the young people of this country who see hip hop as their culture, and allow them to to make art and to build relationships and community through this art and culture that they see as their own, then we can do it a lot of good and move the needle on this goal of uh, having hip hop save America. Sounds good to me, my man. I appreciate you for your work. I appreciate you for your time. Like I said, I've been watching what you've done. I've, I've known a lot of people that have worked in the program across my paths out here in the New York area. And I really respect what you do. I really, in particularly, you know, I do some of the same thing in how I look at being careful, staying self-aware, recognizing that not everything that has hip hop in it is good for hip hop. You know what I mean? And, and being conscious of that, uh, you know, a lot of hip hop education stuff comes across what I talk about here, but not everyone is always happy with everything that's happening in hip hop based education. And I think that that happens with the work you do, but you're so self-aware of it. You really, you, you address it very early in the book. And I think that really just shows not only how good a job you've done and how great this initiative has been under your leadership, but how much, how authentic it is and how much from the soul it is. 
Uh, and that's, you know, makes it easy. When you're with someone else in this mindset, it's easy to build. And uh, exactly. with, with that, I've, I congratulate you once again on your book, uh, which is called Build the Power of Hip Hop Diplomacy in a Divided World. And uh, I recommend it to everybody. We'll have links to it and all the good things. And uh, I appreciate you for your work and for your time here again. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's smartest and perhaps most diplomatic hip hop podcast. Thanks again to Mark Katz, creator of the Next Level Hip Hop Diplomacy Program. You can find out more about the program at www.nextlevel-usa.org. And again, do check out Mark's new book, Build, The Power of Hip Hop Diplomacy in a Divided World, wherever you get books. We do have a free copy to give away. Shoot us a quick email at free at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. This podcast is brought to you by the nonprofit, The Center for Hip Hop Advocacy. To find out more about our work protecting, preserving, and promoting the innovative use of hip-hop music and culture, visit www.hiphopadvocacy.org. We can also contribute a tax-deductible donation to help us continue to bring these episodes to life. Follow us on social at Hip Hop Advocacy. Hip Hop Can Save America was created, hosted, produced, edited, smack, flipped, and rubbed down by me, Manny Faces. I'm an award-winning journalist, podcast producer, public speaker, and fun fact, living kidney donor. Find out more about me at mannyfaces.com and follow me on Twitter at mannyfaces and on Instagram at mannyfacesny. Lastly, if you know someone you think would be a great guest, nominate them at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash guest. Once again, I'm Manny Faces. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you again next time. Peace. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip Hop Hacks and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.